Hello and welcome to Aim Insider with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. Today I'm joined by GIB Asset Management's Kunal Desi. Kunal is a co-portfolio manager for Global Emerging Market Equities. And in this episode, we discuss why, after years of heartbreak and disappointing returns, he feels India has finally reached an inflection point. Hello, Kunal. Welcome to the studio. It's very good to have you here. Just to start, I know we've spoken before, but just for listeners, you've you've been focusing on the Indian market for quite some time, um, which you have, and we can get to this later, but I know you've described periods of disappointment and uh, painful balance sheets, I think that you have said in previous times. Could you t- talk to me now? to what extent you are focused on India at the minute mm. before we go into misconceptions and opportunities in the market? Yeah, sure. So um, India has always been a, a marketeer's dream. Um, it's a market where you think about per capita penetration rates, which are very low. You think about uh, infinite uh, runways for growth. Um, it's a market of scale. It's a market which has seen a huge amount of GDP uh, accumulation and, and progress. Um, but India has been a market that's really disappointed some investors because of some political issues, because of uh, elements of bureaucracy um, and also a high inflation environment. Um, however, the relevance that India has today within the wider emerging market context has really been transformed. Um, it started in 2014. It's been accelerated over the last few years. And really where we see India today is uh, one of the beacons in uh, an emerging market asset class, which, which has some troubles. Um, and when you combine that with the scale, when you um, say troubles, what do you mean specifically? I think in terms of you know what you've seen as emerging markets as an asset class has underperformed developed markets over the last ten years. Um, this has really been driven by the strength of the U.S. market. People point to the FANG stocks and, and technology in particular in the S and P. Uh, emerging markets have, have struggled as a result of a, a stronger dollar, um, which naturally uh, is a headwind for growth. Um, a number of key emerging markets have had their own policy issues, be it. Um, elections which have resulted in coalitions um, or indeed what you've seen in, in China more recently. So that's created a, a little bit of a, a, a potentness about the growth visibility that we see in a number of large emerging markets, which is why these pockets of growth are, are so attractive. Because you've spoken now about this return on equity sweet spot mm-hmm. and how that you really believe this is it. Yeah. But how do you know you're not going to be disappointed again? <laughs> well, I have good uh, kind of good history for the last 10 years. I've been waiting for this moment. Uh, and actually, I caught 10 years of disappointment. Um, that's where the gray hair is coming from. But um, really, it, it comes from what I call the, the holy trinity. Um, it's where India's position is on its own capital cycle. Um, and the reason why we believe that this is a once in a generation opportunity for the investment cycle to accelerate in India is because three things have come together at the same time. Um, the first being India at the moment sits with uh, excess capacity. Uh, when you think of manufacturing capability, um, most businesses are about 75 to 70%, uh, 76% utilization. Um, the second element is demand is coming back. Um, so as that demand comes through into your business, you don't necessarily need to expand more capacity to take on that incremental demand. So what this means as a business is you're able to enjoy very high incremental margins because you're not adding to your cost to take on that demand that's coming through. And the final point is businesses are still showing a high degree of balance sheet restraint. Um, they've had their fingers burnt in the last cycle. They've had to pay down debt, get their balance sheets in order. So what it happens, what, what it ends up with is seeing profitability beginning to improve, but companies are still showing that balance sheet restraint, which sets the scene for an improvement in return on invested capital. Um, and this is rare. Um, this hasn't been in the market for the last 15 to 20 years. 
And really what this uh, sets the Indian market up for is uh, a renewed period of strong profitability, which will then re-incentivize businesses to invest, which is that investment cycle, which is so bullish for, for any emerging market. This kind of goes into one of the misconceptions that I know people talk about with the Indian market, which is that the valuation is too hot or, or, or too rich. But I think I've heard you made the point before that value can coexist yeah. with this sort of um, this this rally. It's, know, this, it's exactly this right. And think, how, but how does that actually work and where are you seeing it? So I think the biggest criticism India tends to have from an investment standpoint is, is valuation. Um, it typically trades at a premium to Asia. Uh, typically trades at a premium to emerging markets more generally. And at the moment, India is touching all-time highs in terms of that uh, relative valuation premium. The reason why value can exist even though multiples are high really comes down to implied expectations uh, and whether there's levers for change. Implied expectations in the sense that for today's valuation of India at 18, 19 times forward earnings to make sense, it takes into a, a account the free cash flow expectations that you see for the Indian market. Now, what our expectations are is for earnings to be revised upwards um, because of this manufacturing story, because of this return on equity story that, that's now taking place. Um, we looked at a, a number of data from return on equity growth of the Indian market versus other emerging markets and also versus the US since 1996. Uh, and what's interesting is when you compare the predictability and the consistency of return on equity uh, in the Indian market, it's far superior to other markets around the world. Uh, when you compare the absolute levels of that return on equity growth, again, it's higher than other parts of the world. So what you have in India um, is predictable, consistent return on equity growth, but it's also um, comes with, with high absolute numbers. Um, so when we think about what investors look for, is obviously high profitability, but also the element of consistency, which is the characteristic of the Indian market that sets it apart from other uh, markets around the world. So from that perspective, even though it is a high multiple market, um, it can be fully justified because of the consistency of returns that the market's able to generate. I suppose just in the vein of India's unique position, as you put it, how, how, do you, how does the engagement as an investor differ, say, between India and somewhere else like Korea or Taiwan for you? So one of the ways in which we think about engagement is identifying hidden value in businesses uh, and then seeking to uh, work with management teams to, to unlock it. Um, when you think about markets like Korea and, and Taiwan, um, a lot of the, the hidden value in businesses is through inefficient balance sheets. Uh, it's through governance structures, which are a little bit opaque uh, and need to be improved. Um, it's through the ways in which companies can move from being perceived by investors as being ex-growth towards being uh, far more uh, growth in, in terms of their compounding nature. So that means the type of engagement is a little bit different in terms of what we try and focus with, with our businesses. In India, the biggest risk that, uh, that companies face is seeing uh, their return profile fall or tend back to its cost of capital. So companies can overinvest and see their returns on incremental capital begin to deteriorate. So for us, the key engagement item for these businesses is to protect that return on equity profile. Um, and this really centers around working with management teams to uh, improve their incentive structures and move away from just balance sheet growth towards a return on investable, uh, re return on invested capital uh, metric. It's also to think about ways in which governance can be improved to lower their own cost of capital. So for long duration assets, which exists in India, um, it's really thinking about that durability protection, which marks it as different from other emerging market companies that we, that we see. So what are, you know, you're saying that to the governance 
issues to to improve mm. talking about not just focusing on the balance sheet and trying to improve um invent you know to invent uh, uh, incentivize yeah presumably staff employees or or so a huge amount of like it what is, are the what are the actual issues i suppose in yeah so uh, one of the biggest issues is you know 40 50 percent of our uh, investment universe in india is family and businesses um, and typically you have a mother or a, a father have set up a business uh, and really that business is run as both being family owned but family controlled. Um, what we're now seeing is the second, third generations have been off to the best business schools in the world. They're coming back to their, their parents' organization and they want to take it on to the next uh, level. Um, and this involves thinking about how governance standards could improve where it isn't just family owned, but it's actually management controlled. Um, where they bring in a, a management team who are incentivized by share option schemes, um, who have their key KPIs as being return on invested capital, not just expanding the balance sheet at any cost. Um, they think about having uh, professionals within the company who are most aligned with uh, the competitive advantages of that particular business. Sustainability um, is a huge source of returns in emerging markets. And as businesses are perceived better by investors, um, they can attract a, a lower cost of capital and a wave of institutional capital. So that second generation natural tailwind, which we're seeing in key emerging markets, India in particular, has really been fostered by that family dynamic, these family owned businesses, which are moving from being small cap, uh, mid cap businesses into the blue chips of, of tomorrow. Um, and that can be a, a really nice lever where we harness that change. Um, by promoting essentially that natural story which is taking place in these types of businesses. Just going back to the point that you made about looking for a hidden value, mm. I think there was a, a, I think it was a note that you wrote um, before about as an outsider looking into India, you have to avoid. I think it was like irrational exuberance and excessive pessimism. That's it. Yeah. That's the. That was actually Raghuram Rajan, the central bank governor. I, I wish I had oh, that. Uh, okay. I wish I had that. Okay, just well, you can take credit for it. So from the value perspective. Bearing that, bearing that kind of sentiment in mind and trying to find value. Is the hype now surrounding India a bit of a nightmare for a value investor in, in a sense? So I think stock picking really does matter in India. Um, there is a huge amount of dispersion um, and divergence in terms of valuation where there are your traditional consumer-oriented uh, sectors, which are at 65, 70 times P uh, with low teens earnings growth, where traditionally investors have centered because of that predictability return on equity. Um, however, where we do find pockets of value is in areas which are aligned to the manufacturing theme. Um, since 2006, India has seen its manufacturing share of GDP fall from about 17% down to, to single digits. It's now beginning to pick up. Um, but rather than buying or investing in the asset owners, it's really the businesses which are the picks and shovels which benefit from this manufacturing renaissance that, that we're seeing. So companies in affordable housing wiring or businesses that are building steel pipes or plastic pipes, which are useful for the natural development within India, um, are areas which are far cheaply valued versus their traditional consumer counterparts, but which have an exciting earnings growth story to come. Um, one of the other areas which I think um, is sometimes forgotten from an Indian um, investment standpoint is the export sector. Um, IT services, for an example, is a business model which is predicated on low cost structure, um, capable um, human capital, capable engineers who are developing software and developing uh, services products which service the rest of the world. Now, when you think about India's advantage, again, it typically comes down to consumption. Some 400, 500 million people are going to enter the middle class in the next eight years. That's adding a Mexico and an Indonesia just in, in, in a decade. 
But really there is an opportunity in IT services because of this cost structure, which remains in place. Um, individual school, skill development is meaning that rather than these businesses providing services to uh, multinational companies, which keeps uh, the lights on, they're actually transforming their own competitive advantages. So those two areas would be um, two pockets which have value. Um, when you think about implied expectations in their current valuation versus what they can achieve, um, that's a, a particular uh, interesting areas which, which we have focused on within, within our product. Um, and I'm not sure how much this would relate to you, but say you, what a market has been driven by the kind of momentum that you're seeing in India mm -hmm. at the minute. Is it, un is it, com it would it be quite common for then, say, stocks that aren't fundamentally strong just to rise on the back of that? And how does that affect you as a stock picker? You know, yeah. how do you kind of separate that and find the differences there? So it's, it's a difficult challenge to navigate. I think what you typically have when there is a huge amount of momentum and you do feel um, there are hallmarks of a bull market arising, which India has been in, um, is you look at breadth indicators. So you think about what's leading the market in terms of a pocket of sectors or a pocket of companies so or whether it's indicators? breadth, breadth so breadth, breadth of the market or oh. whether it is um, uh, across the board. Um, I think what we've seen recently, certainly over the last eight months, is a lot of low quality, um, highly cyclical, um, very levered businesses also re-rating. Um, which has made it difficult for up, up, upwards, up, upwards, upwards as, okay. as momentum has picked up. And as, importantly, as domestic liquidity has improved in India, a lot of Indians in India are buying their own market, which traditionally um, uh, tends to focus on the lower end of the market from a quality perspective. Um, so this is something that I think investors have to withstand. Um, clearly, there are elements of change where um, the business models and the competitive advantages and the capabilities of companies have been transformed by some of the, the structural changes and the reforms we've seen in India. Um, but really going back to that lens of what it is about a business in terms of how do we define its competitive advantage? Is it through their scale economics? Is it through the IP that they're able to achieve? Is it through having high switching costs with their customers? Um, combining that with the reinvestment runway that they enjoy, that helps us focus on intrinsic business quality rather than being a low quality business that has just benefited from the wave of, of investor money coming into the could, market. Could you give an example maybe of, of, of time that you've actually done that? Like how did you actually managed to figure that out. Yeah, I so I think, you know, one of our companies which we have in the portfolio is a business called APL Apollo Tubes. Um, and this is the market leader in terms of uh, providing manufactured steel products. So it goes to into your houses. It's the structural steel tubes that build um, hospitals and renewable entities and malls and, and affordable housing. Um, the business itself is a market leader. It has about 40% market share. Um, it has pan-India presence, which is a very difficult um, initiative to be able to achieve in India. Um, it has about four times the number of SKUs and three times the number of dealers that any other peer has in the market. So it has this competitive advantage, which is really driven by the scale um, that the company have. Um, as a result of that, its unit costs are about 20 to 30% cheaper than peers in the market. So it can price more effectively and enjoy that margin versus its peers, which gives it that competitive advantage. Now, for this business, uh, its ability to generate 20 to 25% revenue growth at a consistent margin has been in place for the last seven to eight years. Um, it's been able to enjoy a 28% return on capital employed, which it is reinvesting back into the business, which gives it that compounding nature, um, which, which grows capital at, at high rates of return. But really the opportunity for this company where the value element comes in is through its relative valuation versus other peers in the building material space. 
Um, so this is a, a company which typically trades at about a 40 to 50% discount to its peers, simply because there have been some governance challenges that a number of peers in the market have faced, um, given the fact that it has an element of cyclicality due to the steel prices and how that can fluctuate. But what our work really centers on is whether that fundamental franchise value, which is very clear to see through their economics, um, is far more durable than what the market expectations are for its return on capital to fall, fall to its cost of capital. We believe it is. Um, they're looking to become much more of a business-to-consumer type of company rather than just a business-to-business business. -to -business, business. Um, they're invested a huge amounts into advertising and promotion to improve their brand image. So it goes away from this challenge of being just a commoditized player into a business with true brand equity, which benefits from the scale advantages that it's been able to achieve. Um, I suppose, you know, we've we've kind of talked about the tailwinds, you know, um, that India's experiencing now. Um, when you spoke about, this is kind of a his, historical, but in in the now, um, the when you were saying, you know, governmental, government's issues just in, mm. in, the, in the country, kind of more economic and how the, the country as a whole has been, been run. Yeah. Um, the internet shutdowns that are happening, mm. you know, so if the BJP is touting India to be, you know, on a, you know, the cusp of a digital revolution, which in mm. many ways yeah. it is. And yeah. we know that the opportunities there are enormous. But if every, every now and then, you know, uh, the internet has been in, intermittently shut down. And I know it's not all to mm. stifle mm. government mm. critics. Some, you know, I think they've said, you know, to stop school kids cheating in exams. Mm. And there's mm. a whole host of reasons. Yeah. But that is an issue. Mm. So how seriously as an investor do you, do you do you take that and how is it impacting you know the the growth story of India right now Yeah I think you know one of the the the, the most exciting elements from a developmental perspective is it being exactly that the the digital transformation of India I think in 2016 digital transactions as a percentage of GDP was about 4.5% uh, and today it's north of 75% so there's been a huge improvement um there's various initiatives such as the uh, uh, Aadhaar, which is the biometric scheme, and the UPI, which is a unified um, interface, which links in all the various uh, digital capabilities in, into one fabric. So there has been a huge amount of change. I think these elements of political considerations are something we're aware of. I'm interested um, in what you do. So if you wake up in the morning and you, you get a news alert saying Twitter was shut down yesterday, what do you do as an investor? Like, well, who do you talk to? I think, well, you know, you think about it in the context of, of how long that can last, the impact, the material impact that can have for a business's business model. Mm -hmm. um, is I, any amount of time surely not quite critical? It is, it is an issue. And I think from a pan-India perspective, this has been very, very rare um, to have uh, such a, a kind of internet shutdown. I think there have been pockets in the past where there's been um, a degree of issues or there's been kind of struggle within people within that, that region where that's been in place. Um, this is a, a natural tail risk, which is a part of all emerging markets, which we have to monitor. Um, you know, from a technology perspective, you could look at developed markets, what's happening in the US, what's happening here in the UK. Uh, and there's a huge amount of debate about how technology should be integrated in our lives, the roles it should play, the, the challenges that we will face by having technology increasingly involved. Um, I think emerging markets are no different. Um, there will be this natural battle. Um, what we've seen in China um, over the last two years was um, a very direct way of addressing their fear um, that a lot of technological progress was at the cost of social value. 
Um, and that's something that we've just got to uh, kind of accommodate and, and integrate within our own investment thinking. Um, but from an Indian perspective, anyway, from us, we haven't seen it so much as a challenge. Um, the Prime Minister Modi has been uh, a tremendous supporter of uh, the India stack and this uh, united or unified payments um, interface. And I think that will continue to, to gain momentum in, in India going forward. I think that's an interesting note to leave things on. So, Kunal, okay. thank you very much. Thank you.